0: Everyone and welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm Victor Kalella, certified financial planner and advisor here at Woodward. And I'm joined by my colleague and also certified financial planner and advisor here, Alex Rashani. Alex, how are you?
1: I'm doing swell, Vic. Thanks for having me back.
0: Well, thank you for being back. I don't know why you would miss it because we're talking about education planning again. This is part two of our back to school special about education planning. And this one, we're taking sort of the other side of the coin from our first conversation. So back when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about education planning, we were covering sort of your child or grandchild is, you know, a couple of years old. We're talking about saving for college far into the future. Well, it's here. Next fall we're going to school. Uh and you know, we're covering that phase of college planning where it's time to actually start paying for, you know, the n- numerous expenses, which is why we talk about this at all. It's expensive. Um so our goal here is to cover best ways to pay, things to think about. This may not be comprehensive, but we really want to give you some stuff to think about as you're at this phase. So, before I start Our disclaimer is that none of this is meant to be individual advice for you. So we may be giving tax-related advice, investments, maybe even estate-related advice, and all this is for educational purposes. So if you have specific questions about your situation, go to your professionals, your CPA, your attorney, your advisor, and they'll be able to get that done for you. So having said that, Alex, I I, I have one more thing I want to say before I sort of kick it to you to start us off which is our conversation today assumes that you want to pay for college for your child or grandchild. And that's not everyone. That's not all of our clients. That's not everyone we talk to. And there is a really strong case to be made for, you know, giving your kids some skin in the game uh, as it relates to paying for school. So they may be it more, um, which could mean work study or, you know, just, taking out loans and having to pay back those loans in their early career, hopefully just early career. Uh, we know these loans get big. So um, just want to start with that and say that all of these strategies we're talking about could be used for half of college or, or or something like that so that you still get that skin in the game. Having said that, Alex, where do we start? This is a big conversation. So where do we start as it relates to um, sort of our piece of the pie here
1: today? Yeah, the, the best place to start is by shrinking the amount you have to pay, right? Uh, shrink the bill as much as you can. And when we're talking about college and education expenses, the way to do that's really going to be primarily through scholarships and grants. Uh, now, these can fall into two major buckets merit based and needs based. Um, we're familiar with merit based, it's your academics, you're good at music, you play a sport, whatever it might be. Uh, needs based, that's essentially how much does the government feel, or the scholarship provider or grant provider feel that you need for college? And we'll get into the weeds a little bit on that. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's both.
0: You know, it can be. You know, some component is merit, but also they'd rather give it to someone who doesn't have a million dollars in the bank to pay for college uh, if they can avoid it. So,
1: right, not always and one th- or the other. And there are way more than you think of these out there. Uh, so good resources. Check with your high school guidance counselor, university student aid. Uh, Google it. Go online. Uh, you know, you can find them anywhere. And, and they're not all big name headliner scholarships for full rides. You know, $1,000 here, $1,500 there really can add up. You know, if so, if so put the work in. That's what I'd yeah. recommend.
0: Yeah, right. And, and it doesn't end once you get to school. I know I had success once I was already at college in my second, third, fourth years of continuing to apply. Uh, and you'd be surprised how many are out there for folks who are looking. Um, now, Alex, I want to circle back briefly to the needs-based part of that equation that you just talked about. There's going to be, so every, everyone who's in this position has either heard of FAFSA or is you know uh, in the process of filling it out Today and what FAFSA is, it stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and this is an application. It's a form that you fill out, which its objective is to come up with an estimate, and the federal government puts this estimate together uh, of how much your your family is expected to pay. So, if you're the student, you know what is the need from a from the standpoint of. Uh, you know, Do you have a lot of assets and income that may be able to go towards college or is your family sort of just getting by, has very little in assets and income where the need will be greater? And a couple of things that go into this are, so really it's, it's simple. The assets and income of the parents and the assets and income of the student. The student's assets and income participate at a much higher percentage. So the student, if they've got a million dollars in the bank, is expected to use those dollars for the most part to pay for their college expenses. Parental assets and income participate at a much lower level, meaning mom and dad have some money saved for retirement. They're not expected to spend all of that for for you know you the student's college. So what comes out the other end of this FAFSA form is Expected Family Contribution or EFC. If that is, if that number is high. Then that means you're less likely to qualify for aid. If that number is very low, you're more likely to qualify for needs-based aid. And it's not just federal organizations that use this. Sometimes it's private uh, or university-based scholarships or grants will look at this number as well. So really important one, and definitely go to your guidance counselor, they can help you with this. But uh file that away for a moment because we may reference that as this podcast goes on, because it's possible to manage this FAFSA form so that you don't you know, create any surprises for
1: your aid. Awesome. Well said. The next thing you want to think of is really, all right, we've got the, the bill shrunk as much as we can. We filed the FAFSA. We've got that checked off. Okay, what do we pull from next? So there's a couple of Excuse sources. Me.
0: Assuming you didn't pay for it all with uh, you know, killer scholarship applications, right?
1: That's right. And kudos to you if you did. Um, you can cut this off if, you, if you've paid for it through the scholarship. Uh, so after that, you, you generally want to be mindful of the account you're pulling from or the sources really you're pulling from. The first one that comes to mind for most people is income. It's, I earned a dollar, I turned around, I paid that dollar to the university to cover tuition, room board, whatever it might be. Um, now, from there, you look at 529 plans, UTMAs, Roth IRAs, uh, traditional IRAs. These are accounts we covered in the in the last podcast. Um, and you really want to be intentional about where you source this from, because there are pros and cons to each of these methods. Uh,
0: well, and, and yeah, Alex, I was just going to add that tax, everything's on a spectrum of tax benefits or aid benefits, right? We're, we're trying to pick the most advantageous because we're trying to avoid messing up the FAFSA and disqualifying you from aid, right? That, that's one that we just talked about. You also don't want to mess up your eligibility for some tax benefits we'll talk about later. So we'll, we'll circle back to that. But yeah, those other than just income, you know there are several other sources that we talked about saving in, for very specific reasons in our last episode that now come
1: into play. As you know, we've got these money in different buckets. Where do we pull from first? Right, it's a balancing act. Um, it's also there's a practical balance of if if you don't have a UTMA, can't can't pull from one. So playing ahead, the uh, just kind of starting back at income. The the con of the pro of that is that it's simple. Right, you understand it. Everybody intuitively understands it at this point. Uh but you, you haven't put that money away. It's a, a dollar in, a dollar out, you don't have the growth component there. We, yeah. When we look at I was just gonna say another benefit is that on that
0: fat on that federal FAFSA form, if this is parental income, or if you're even if you're a grandparent and you're writing the check directly to the university, that doesn't show up on FAFSA. So that doesn't potentially disqualify you from aid. Uh, So just just one benefit of doing it from income.
1: Right. Yeah, it's already coming in. It's already factored in. Uh, The 529 plans now that will have FAFSA implications, not right away, uh, down the road a little bit. Uh, But it also comes with the benefit of if used for the right expenses you're not having to pay any kind of capital gains on the growth in that account. So you put $100 in, it's grown to $1,000. That $900, tax-free, penalty-free if used the right way. Uh, so that can be really powerful. Right. Uh, and, and,
0: and Alex, just to jump in, we, we talked about this before we, we recorded, but it's worth mentioning that if, if those dollars in the 529 plan were invested in a lot of stocks before, this is a good time to make sure that you've add you add some stability, maybe sell stocks and buy bonds or cash in that account so that you know, if the market goes down by 50% tomorrow, tuition stays the same. So you want to you want to get some stability in the investments there too. That's right.
1: And that that point holds true to the UTMA and the IRAs that are the next logical sources, let's say, for you to potentially pull from. You know those accounts; they don't have the same tax advantages of a five twenty nine, uh, but they are assets that uh, that people build up for this purpose. UTMA uh, that is the child's asset, so it's already factored in, so it's not going to blow up the uh, the EFC when you take money out of that. Uh, the Roth IRA would do the same. Traditional IRA it can be a little bit um, more of a waiting on the 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 EFC
0: yeah and I want to back up to something else that you said there is that the UTMA is a it's considered a child's asset for FAFSA so this is a reason to save in a 529 instead of a UTMA in the context of our last podcast so when we started saving you know 15 years ago if you now have a really big balance in a UTMA that's really going to hurt the needs-based aspect of sort of some of these potential scholarships or grants. Um, So it's worth mentioning, but you know, when you take the dollars out, it doesn't affect sort of those needs-based calculations, but it does affect sort of the calculations in the first place.
1: That's right. That's right. Just, just like the income component. So those four or five different types of, of sources for funding are all important to consider. It's important to consider on the front end. Now in, in this hypothetical scenario as we're ready to cut the bill, it's important to consider where we pull from for not only FAFSA, but also the tax credits. And these come on the back end. Uh, so there's, there's two big ones, the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. High level, essentially, What they are, they are credits or a way to get paid back when you file your taxes for expenses that you've incurred, paying in this case for educational expenses. Uh, Now, there are some income limits. You want to be mindful of those. If you earn too much, you may just outright be disqualified from them. But you also want to make sure that you leave some room because one of the big potholes people run into is, let's say you pay the full tuition with the 529 plan, you can't double up. You can't get that tax-free growth on the 529 as well as get that credit. Yeah, and and that's, you know,
0: usually there's plenty of college expenses to go around. But each of these different, so in order for an expense, and the way that these tax credits work is that you have to spend money in order to get the credit. So you have to show that you spent, for example, $2,000 on college expenses in order to qualify for the lifetime learning credit, assuming your income is below these thresholds. But, but it can't be $2,000 that came from a 529 account, which is what Alex is referencing. So it has to be, it's almost, you can only get one benefit at a time is one way to think about it. You can either get the advantage of tax-free growth from the 529 plan and use those dollars, or you can qualify for you know this tax credit. But for any given dollar, you have to pick one. So With a little bit of planning, you can still get the benefits of both. Uh, And that's how sort of both of those, the American Opportunity and Lifetime Learning
1: Credits work. That's right. And and to really make sure we we don't overlook something, you can only claim one of the two tax credits. So I want that to be clear as well. You can't get both the American Opportunity Tax Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit in one year for that that same student. So typically, I mean, work with your, your tax advisor, of course, but American Opportunity Tax Credit falls uh, uh, you know, beyond the horizon pretty quickly for a lot of people because you only have it for four years where lifetime learning credit is for a lifetime. So.
0: Right. So if you go back and get a master's degree, you can come back to the lifetime learning credit just, just to give a real life example there. Um, and each of these has their own, you know, you have to be enrolled full time by a certain definition of what full-time means for some of them. And so it it gets confusing, but your tax advisor is really going to be able to help you out when it comes to game planning in any given year. I want to circle back to one other thing as well, Alex, that we didn't cover, which is who owns the, so let's say, uh, Alex, I'm grandpa and you're dad, right? So our our grandson slash son is going to go to college. Um. I own a 529, and you own a 529, both uh, with our son or grandson as the beneficiary. One thing to watch out for, and generally what we recommend, is that in the, let's say, freshman and sophomore year, Alex, you use your 529 to cover expenses in the plan. And then senior and junior year, I'll use my 529 to cover the expenses. And the reason we do this is that when I use those dollars from mine, Um, it counts as income for the student. And remember for for federal form FAFSA, uh, students' income is pretty much all expected to go towards their college. So that federal form FAFSA operates on a two-year lag, which is something we didn't specifically say. So if I paid for all of freshman year with my 529 account, it might screw up two years later, you know, our child and grandchild's eligibility for certain federal aid. So generally like if you have multiple five to nine plans owned by grandpa or grandma and mom and dad spend from mom and dad's first, and then go to grandma and grandpa's. If you do some of that coordination, you decrease the likelihood that you accidentally mess up some scholarship that has a needs based component. Um, that's a more, su- it's a subtle one that sometimes gets missed, but again, this is all in a, in a perfect scenario when you have all these different buckets to pull from, uh, we like to be practical too and just say that where, wherever there's money, you sort of have to, you know, use what you have, where you have it. Um, but if you have these choices, you're always thinking about, you know, FAFSA and tax credits and, you know, all these different advantaged accounts you have to sort of balance. Does that make sense, Alex?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I like that. We, uh, we got to that. So, and those with, a, with particularly attuned ears may have, uh, have caught that on the front end when we were talking about the EFC, just right. being parent and student assets, leaving the grandparents out of that equation.
0: Right. So lots of complexity here, but just to sort of summarize as we wrap up here, um, once you've tried to shrink the bill to the extent possible, figured out what your options are as it relates to loans and federal aid through form FAFSA. It really come becomes this uh, this game where you're trying to play pay for college with the most tax benefited assets. So 529 assets and Roth IRA assets being at the top of that list while trying to avoid stepping in anything that will screw up any needs-based aid that you may be qualifying for, but also um you know, you don't want to disqualify yourself accidentally from the use of these tax credits because some of them are, are only going to be around this one time. So uh lots of complexity, but also it it's it's a few things that you want to think about that'll get you there. Um, so Alex, anything to anything else to add before we sort of wrap this one?
1: I think we've done a good job. I think at this point, if if you have questions, again, reach out to your professionals, uh, reach out to us and we'd be right. happy to, to talk further.
0: Yeah, the devil is in the details. So ha- having said that, uh, thank you, Alex. I, this has been a good you know, couple of sessions that we've done. Uh, I will say that if you have topics that you'd like to hear more about or you know, want to give some feedback to us, check us out at our website, woodwardadvisors.com. If you want to reach out to us, you'll see on there, you have access to all their links to our social media accounts, but also there's a Let's Talk page at the top where you can write us a message, put podcast in the subject. We'll definitely get it. Um, so. Having said that, thanks for joining us again. We look forward to talking to you soon on our next podcast.